Our text for this morning's message will be found in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to come today to probably one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. Uh, The title I've known it by probably all of my life is The Three Hebrew Children. I've mentioned many times the memories that I have of some of these things in Sunday school growing up when I was just uh, the age of our children here and hearing that from my Sunday school teacher and the magic of the flannel graph and those little pictures that would stick to it. And I can still see the little pictures of this story in, in my mind. And um, it's a powerful, moving account. It's not just a Sunday school, so uh, a Sunday school story. And though we might be familiar with it, don't let that blur the impact of it or the, the truth that is here. Don't let it dull the edge of the suspense or the reality of it. Sometimes we can read something so much we get used to it, but sometimes we need to let that fade away and kind of just hear it anew each time that we read it or each time we hear it read. Try as we, as we read to place yourself here. Because this happened. This isn't made up. This happened. These three men found themselves in this place facing this situation. What if it was you here? What if it was us? So keep that in mind as we read. We're going to begin in verse 1. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says this, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, and the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, Ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth the same hour, excuse me, whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people the nations and the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse 8, Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well... But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. 
and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We're going to stop there. We're going to split this account into two messages simply because there's so much to learn from this. We're going to talk about the furnace and the deliverance. See, you already know what happens, right? We're going to talk about that next week. But today I want to talk about their stand. We will not bow. We will not bow. It is no mistake that is the cry of the world today, isn't it? Bow down and worship. Whether it be something, some person, some movement, some idea, the demand of the world is that we bow. Do we have the strength to stand as these three men did and say, no, let it be known we will not bow. Let's dig in and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Just to give a little bit of a timeline, this is some 15 years later after the events of chapter 2 where Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and, and Daniel tells the interpretation of it and these men are promoted. This, by from what I can understand, is about 15 years later. That's 15 years of these young men day in and day out doing what they do in a righteous way. They are probably now in their mid to late 30s, which rings a bell with me because that's right about where I'm at. In their mid to late 30s, after they have been promoted, look in chapter 2 and verse 49, then Daniel requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. See, they have been promoted, given this job by Nebuchadnezzar to oversee parts of the kingdom. And they've done that now for 15 years. They live the everyday in a righteous way. We already saw their character in chapter 1. Remember, we're not going to partake of the king's table. We're not going to go against the law. We're not going to defile ourselves. That's just a snapshot of their character. So I have no reason to doubt that they were righteous in carrying out the job that Nebuchadnezzar had given them. And they do that for 15 years. You'll also notice the absence of somebody in this chapter. Daniel. Daniel's not in chapter 3. So that begs the question, well, where is he? The most, uh, without going into a long, drawn-out discussion, the most probable reason that he's out overseeing other parts of the kingdom. He's like second in command. So he's probably out over other, overseeing other affairs and parts of the kingdom. Which really speaks to the integrity of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, they didn't need Daniel to stand. They stood on their own. You understand that's the principle right? we can put right out front this morning. You don't need me as pastor to make righteous decisions in your life. You can do it on your own. In fact, that's how it has to be. I can't make those choices for you. I can simply guide you, but you in your own heart, that's where the stand is made. And it helps when we stand together, but ultimately that's a decision that lies within our own hearts, doesn't it? So let's see what happens here. Let's look at the image first. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score or sixty cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. And he set it up in a place that all people could see it. He sets up an image, an image of gold. Now where did he get the idea to do that? What? Did he just wake up one day and say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this giant golden statue. You know where I think he got the idea? The dream and the interpretation of the dream. Look back in chapter 2 at verse 37. And as Daniel is giving the interpretation, this is what he tells Nebuchadnezzar. He says in verse, chapter 2 and verse 37, Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom and power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven, he's given unto thine hand. And he's made thee ruler over all. Thou art this head of gold. 
we don't have time to go into the, the dream and all that it entails, but he says, you are this head of gold. Your kingdom is a golden kingdom, and you rule the world, and God has given that to you. Hmm. You know what I think? I think that went to his head. <laughs> I think for 15 years he thought about it and decided to make it a visible reality. I have no doubt this monument is to Nebuchadnezzar. It's a monument of himself. In fact, it makes that pretty clear. Nebuchadnezzar set it up. Nebuchadnezzar, oh, man, that's hard. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar set it up. It says that over and over and over again to make it sure. Who put this up? The king did. I have no doubt this is a monument to his self. Self is always the idol. You understand that? Self is always the reason we worship other things other than God. It's not that they are more compelling. It's that in our own hearts we are drawn to them. It is self that takes us away from God. And this is a monument to self. Now, I don't know what you see when you think of this image. Because it sounds pretty good, right? This, this big, huge image of gold. And I remember Sunday school pictures of it. It was this huge guy with a straight beard and with his arms folded. Kind of like if Brother Chad grew a great big beard and had a big statue made of him. This, this giant, impressive guy, right? Like one that's totally worthy of worship. We would see it and say, wow, that's awesome. But look what it says. I don't know if you have ever noticed this, but look what it says. It says it's 60 cubits high. That's 90 feet high. I think that's about twice the aisle. And it's about as wide as the aisle. Nine feet wide by 90 feet high. Now, if that's made in the image of a man, that's a really tall, skinny-looking guy. Like a stick man. It's kind of weird. It's off. It would be grotesque looking. It's probably more like an obelisk. Think Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. But it doesn't change the purpose. It's built for a wrong purpose. And it looks ugly when you begin to stare at it. Let me just say this. There's a lot of idols that the world has built. There's a lot of things that they put forward, people that they exalt, things that they elevate to a place of worship, and they may sound good to our ears at first. With names like human rights movement. Well, that sounds good. Or women's rights movement or Black Lives Matter. And they sound good. And on the surface, they may seem noble. But in reality, when you begin to look, take a closer look, they are grotesque. They are ugly. They are what they are. An idol. A false god. Whether it's a movement or an idea or a person. When we elevate those to a place of worship... They become ugly. They become grotesque. They become blasphemous. And it's not just the world who sets these up, by the way. And we're familiar living in the day that we do with all of these, these things that are, be pushing, that are being pushed to the forefront that we are told to take a knee for, to bow down to, to align ourselves with or else. It's not just the world who is doing that. We do that on our own. We've all got different idols in our lives, if we're honest. Little things that we have set up that maybe we spend way too much time admiring and bowing down to. And that's always the purpose of an idol. This isn't set up just to look at. This is set up to worship. You know what worship means, right? Counting something as worthy. Um, bowing down to the worth of something. That something is worth more than anything. Worth-ship. Worship. That's the goal of an idol. That's the goal of this image. That's the goal of the agenda of the world. And sometimes that's the goal of our own hearts, isn't it? So he sets this up. And then he summons, if you notice in verse 2 and 3, we won't read them, but he summons all the leaders, all these different leaders of the community, leaders of the land. That's usually how it starts, right? 
You start with it with them and then you enforce it on the population through them. Nebuchadnezzar calls them and say, listen, this is what this is what you're going to do. The command comes in verse four. A herald cried aloud to you. It is commanded, O people, nations and languages that at the time you hear the sound of all of this music, you fall down and worship the golden image which Nebuchadnezzar has set up. When you hear the music, you are to worship. When you hear the call, you are to worship. And can I just say as a sidebar, it's no coincidence that this that music is tied to worship. Psalm 103 says this, Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet, praise Him with the psaltery and the harp, with the, praise Him with timbrel and dance, praise Him with stringed instruments and organs, praise Him upon the loud cymbals, praise Him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Music has always been tied to worship. In fact, the creator of music is God. It's not man. It's God. He says in Job that the morning stars, which would be the angels, sang for glory at the creation of the earth. God created worship, excuse me, music. And it is created for one purpose. It's not entertainment. It's worship. Think of that. How else can music move you so much? It can move you to tears. It can move you to joy. It can get you pumped up. Or it can make you relax. There's something about music that touches our very soul. That's because it's made for worship. Made for worship. And don't think Satan doesn't know that either. Don't think he doesn't use that. I will just simply... Remind you of what chapter 1 said. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you feed yourself. Because it will affect you. It will draw your mind and heart to worship other things. Even idols. That's another conversation. We don't have time. (laughs) You hear the music and you worship. Which, by the way, the music sounds horrible. The sound of a cornet, that's a trumpet. So you can imagine a trumpet going on and then a flute. And then you mix in a harp. And this sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, those are all like the stringed instruments. You kind of hear Middle Eastern music and you hear that weird twang thing. That's what's going on. It just sounds horrible. It's not like peaceful music. It sounds like a really bad band just clanging on a bunch of uh, instruments. The whole scene is horrible. The whole scene is ugly. You've got like ugly music. You've got this ugly image. That's because the whole scene is horrible. And the command is to fall down and worship. Right there in verse 5. Ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Beloved, that's the demand of the world. We know that, right? Take a knee and take it now. How dare you stand? Take a knee. Bow down when we say. Fall in line. Do as we say when we say it. We've seen that on all scales, haven't we? From government pushing down regulations to small groups that demand things, just about everyone is demanding obedience of us, aren't they? Worship this. We can even bring it down to ourselves. As, 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 we set up, uh, as we set up things in our own lives that we worship and place so much importance on them, do you know we demand ourselves to worship those things because we make them so important? And on the surface, some of this might not seem so bad, though it may sound good. Again, in reality, it is disgusting when you drill down to the core beliefs of any of these large movements today, human rights is for abortion. It is for a destruction of marriage. That's what they call human rights. Black lives matter, though there are some noble things and some things that might, uh, not might, that do need to be addressed. At the core, it is anti-God, anti-family, anti-Christ. Because at the core is one thing, self. A self that is free from biblical restraints. A self that is free from God. And the demand, the command, without mistake, is to bow down. 
fall in line or else. The demand is usually never without consequence, right? Do this, support us, get on our side or else. You will lose. You will pay. You will face our consequences. And you hear the demands, you hear the consequences, the threats, that's a better word, that are out there today, and so very, very many follow them blindly, right? In verse 6 is the consequence given. Who does not fall down and worship shall the same hour be cast in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. That was the threat of the day then, and there are threats of today that are offered. And look at verse 7. Therefore, at the time when all the people heard this, all the people, the nations, the languages fell down and worshipped the image. So very, very many people fall down willingly. They follow blindly. I imagine the scene of the whole population on their face. Except three young men. Standing there. Maybe looking around. but standing, not bowing down. Perhaps the music players see and maybe they play a little bit louder. You know, other people might be tugging on their robes saying, hey, you need to bow. What are you doing? But they stand. You stand, you will be noticed. You will be noticed. And there are those who are watching. Look in verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews... Didn't you say this, king? Didn't you make this uh, proclamation and this law that everybody's supposed to do this? Verse 12, There are certain Jews who you put over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, they have not regarded you, they don't serve your God, and they don't worship the image. Those people right there, they're not bowing down. You see... When we take a stand, it is conviction. It is a witness. It is a calling out of all those around us. And that will breed contempt. Those people, the people of the world who are so in love with it and so in love with themselves, who say they are enlightened or woke, if you want to say it that, in reality, they are slaves to the system. Slaves to themselves. And when they see somebody standing and not bowing down, it calls them out. Those who will hit their knees to every whim of others and bow down at a moment's notice to the loudest voice, they're watching for those who don't. (laughs) They're ready to report them just like a little child. Mommy, Daddy, Sister's not doing this. That's what I see here. These men, those people, they're not bowing down. These people aren't wearing masks. That church is open. Humanity can be so silly, so childish. These police officers aren't taking a knee. You see it. You know it. You know how this applies today. You know all of this. You see the correlation. You see the relevance to today. The world is full of idols. Our hearts can be full of idols. And the demand is to bow down to it, right? To worship. To fall in line. We can see that all around us. What I want to spend the rest of our time on today is the last part of our text. Particularly with one phrase. Notice verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true? O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. That phrase that I want to focus on is, is it true? Is it true? (laughs) The king hears about this. He gets mad. He brings them in. What does he ask them? Is it true? What a question. This is what I have heard. This is what people are telling me. You're not going to bow down. Is it true? You only bow down to God. Is that true? 
He speaks in a manner that suggested he did not believe it. Really? I mean, this is really what you're going to do? Because that's what I've heard, but I want to make sure. You're going to dare to go against what I say. You're going to dare to go against what I have made law. You're really going to make this choice and you're really going to stand against this. Is it true? Is it true that you will only bow to God? Sooner or later, that question will come. Is it true that you believe in God? Is it true that you go to church all the time? I heard you're a Christian. Is it true? You really believe the Bible is true? You don't work on Sunday because you go to church? You don't go out partying and drinking and drugs because you're a Christian? Is that true? On and on. We, we know how that could affect us, right? Listen closely. Listen closely, Christian. You cannot go through life without being discovered. You understand that statement? You cannot go through life without being discovered. Someone along the line is going to notice the light within you. You are a light set on a hill which cannot be hidden. That's what Jesus says about us, doesn't he? He will be noticed in you. You cannot go through life without being discovered. If you do, you are either apostate or fake. Do you understand that statement? If you do go through life without being noticed, without your Christianity being noticed, you are either apostate or fake. You have either, if no one ever knows, you've either denied it so many times they quit asking, or you show absolutely no fruits meet for repentance. There is no light shining from you because you've either put yourself under a basket and hidden it, or there is no light in you. It has to be one or the other. It sounds harsh, but that's what the truth is. In fact, John writes this in 1 John chapter 1. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, it's going to come out of us because that's what's in us. Someone will notice along the line at some point you and I will be called to stand head and shoulders above the rest of the world. Now, some say it's wise to stay hidden and quiet. We don't want to cause a fuss. You know, people get, people get really uncomfortable when you talk about the Bible and Jesus and all that. So we just keep it on the down low, you know. Let's, let's be wise in the way that we witness. Can you imagine if these three had said something like that? Well, we probably should bow down. After all, this guy's our boss. He put us in this position. He's the king. I mean, we could lose everything. We don't really want to do that, do we? And all these people are going to hate us. Oh, man, this could be really bad. Yeah, we, we should bow down. Besides, God knows our hearts. Yes, He does. He knows our hearts. He knows that, that we really love Him. So we're going to go ahead and bow down to this image, God. But it's all good, right? You know, we might bow, but in our hearts we're not bowing. <laughs> That's a different story, isn't it? They would be safe, but not saved. No one would get hurt, and no one would know a thing. Perhaps that narrative is all too true in this day and age of the church. When did we lose our backbone? When did we lose the grit, as I believe First or Second Corinthians says, 
Quit ye like men. Stand up like a man. Stand for the truth. Stand for the faith. Examine yourselves and see where you're standing in the faith. When did the church lose her backbone? To cower down against loud voices that go against the truth. When did the church care more about money and employment and ease and comfort and safety rather than the truth of the Word and our God? You see, somewhere along the line, you will be asked the same question. Is it true? Is it true that you will not bow down? Charles Spurgeon says this, Rest assured, my fellow Christians, that at some period or another, in the most quiet lives, there will come a moment for open decision. Days will come when we will speak out or prove to be traitors to our Lord and His truth. Is it true? They're called out. They are asked the question and then given the ultimatum. Notice in verse 15. Now, if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. You see that word well is in italics. This is not some nice statement. Like, if you do this, it's great. It's a command. When you hear this, you fall down and you worship, period. That's the command, that's the demand of Nebuchadnezzar. And then the ultimative, but if you don't, you will be cast the same hour into the burning, fiery furnace. Bow down now. Again, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Fall in line now. Get in line now. Take a knee. Support homosexuality now. Embrace, support our agenda now. Get to work now. On and on and on. And if you don't, you will pay. Notice that last phrase in verse 15. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> you see, I'm in control. I'm your boss. I call the shots. What's God going to do about it? You see that there? If God is so great and you only bow down to Him, how's He going to save you from me? The implication is that He won't. That God can't and that God will not work in this situation and that God has no power over it. That what they should do is they should just comply and be about their business and have that God stuff in their own private time. But when I say to do something, you do it and you do it now. Because God doesn't work like that. God has no power in these situations. Well, we know better, right? But do we? Or have we believed Him? Have we found ourselves saying, well, I don't know if God can. Has it sunk in too far what they have said? You know, if you take a stand, things could go bad. And you could lose your job and people could threaten you and you could get hurt. And how's God going to work in that? I mean, did, does he really do things like that today? And that line of thinking is to agree with this statement of a pagan king. God can't and God won't, so why don't you just go ahead and bow? That's what the world wants to fool us into thinking. Well, thank God for faithful men and women who will not bow, who see past all of that, who know what is truly Precious and what is true, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. That's hands down easily one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It gives me chills even right now to imagine the setting as they're standing there before this king and this comes out of their mouths. Of all the things that they could say, they say this. You know what they say? We don't answer to you. We don't answer to you. 
I don't need to defend my actions to you. I don't need to spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. But since you asked, verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. (laughs) Silly king, God is able. God is more than able. My friend, you need to know that he is able to deliver us from whatever this world will throw at us. You want you are not more powerful king. You don't have it up on God. Your hand is nothing to him. Our God is able to deliver us. And by the way, that's where this song comes from. He is able to deliver thee. He is able to save us from the furnace. And it is assured Do you see that in the end of verse 17? And He will. He will. It is assured. He will deliver us from you, O King. Whether by life or by death, you don't win. God does. He has saved us and He will save us. That's the answer to the question. Is it true? Oh, yes, it is. It is true, and here is why. You know what? Be ready to answer that question when somebody asks you. Be ready to give an answer with this. With what you have learned of God, with what God has shown you in your own life, with the truth of the Word of God, can you show why you believe what you do? These three did. Can you answer that question? Why you worship and trust God alone? Why you don't bow down? Can you say, yes, it is true, and here let me tell you why. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow because we bow before the Almighty God who can deliver us and will deliver us. They are there standing before the ruler of the world I imagine the room is lined with all these other people. Nebuchadnezzar is there on his throne. And they they get asked that question. He is the one who has elevated them to their positions. He is the one who holds their very life in his hands. With their answer, they live or die. And you know what they do? There they stand and proclaim the greatness of God. Unashamedly and instantly. I don't think there's a bunch of time where they hold up, we've got to huddle. The question is asked, the ultimatum is given, and they respond instantly. We don't need a whole lot of time to think about this answer. Let's just tell you right now. We bow to God. Notice verse 18. But if not, well, hold up. What what does that mean? If not, they're talking about the furnace, not about God's ability to deliver them. In the first part of verse 17, they say, if it be so, if God wills, if you put it that way, he will deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. If not, verse 18, he can deliver us from the furnace but he might not. If not, if it's his will that we go to our deaths in that fiery pit, what do they say? If not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Even if you take our lives from us, we're not bowing down. We will not worship that image. God can save our mortal life. He is able to do that. But if He chooses not to, first of all, we know He's going to deliver us from you, O King. God can save us, and He's already saved us. And if He chooses to deliver our mortal lives, then great. But if not, we're still not bowing. We will not bow. Amen, we say. Neither will I. 
I will stand no matter what the world may do or say. I won't bow either. That's easy to say. (laughs) But we're not there. Think about it. The furnace is burning. They can hear it. Maybe they can smell it and hear the crack of the wood and feel the heat. They see the king is tipped off. He's enraged, right? Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury. This is not some calm conversation. Is it true you will not bow? You better bow now or I'll kill you. They know he is serious. They know they are facing death. And they say what they say. God might save us from this. He might not. Either way, we're not bowing. Would we say the same? Do we say the same? When the demand comes to bow, along with the threat, that if you don't, you could lose your job, lose your house, your accounts be closed, even to the extent as the reality is in other parts of the world that you and your family will die if you do not bow? Or will you say, let it be known, I will not bow? We say we will not bow. Okay. That's a righteous and noble thing to say. But perhaps we need to Perhaps we need to see where we stand with God. What I, don't want, what I want each of you to do is right now, right here, right now, in your own hearts and in your own minds, think of your life and all the aspects of it. We all have different facets, right? I've got the pastor section, which actually is probably all of it. <laughs> then I've got husband, dad, employer, you know. We've got all different compartments and aspects of our life. And overarching all of that is child of God. Think of all the different aspects of your life and where does God fit into that? What place does He have in all of those, in each of those? And you need to be real about it. Not some romantic, oh yeah, it's all good because I throw up an all good God to Him every once in a while. Me and God are homies. He knows my heart. I'm so tired of hearing that. It's hogwash. He knows my heart. Seriously, how about you show God your heart once in a while? That's like telling your wife you love her, but you never hug her, kiss her, or or spend time with her. But she knows my heart. No. Love is shown by action. By action. In reality, in your own heart, is He absolute first? Does all else take second to Him? Not just in thought, but in action. Is it known, have you made the the decision in your own heart that you will not bow, not to any movement, not to any system, not to your employer, not to any person, place, or thing, that your knee bends for Him and Him alone? Or have you willingly let other things take His place? Here's why I say that. To not bow to the world, you must first bow to Him. Because if you don't bow to Him first, you will bow to the world. Does that make sense? If He's not top slot in all things and every day, then you've already put other things before Him. And when the time comes, you'll bow down to those. Maybe you are already. Do we say we will not bow, or is it more along the lines of, I will not, whoa, well, hold on, let's get not get crazy here. God knows my heart. Sorry, Lord, got to do this. How about we stand? How about we stand and say, no, not bowing down. I'm not worshiping. This decision that these three men make is not off the cuff. It's not some sudden rush of holiness. It's been forged in the fires of a faithful life. Day after day, 
year after year. That knowledge and that love that grows deeper for God as we spend time with Him to the point where we begin to see clearly. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they had crystal clear vision at this moment. Just like Stephen. They saw past it all. How did they get there? Because they came to know God and who He is and how He works and His ability and how loving and gracious and merciful He is and the hope that He's given us. We begin to see He is worth far more than anything else. He alone is worthy of worship and He is so precious and so worthy and so amazing. We realize that and we begin to realize we get a taste of that eternal living hope. We sang about it today. Heaven and being with Him forever. How beautiful it will be. and Being in the glory land with Him and all those, those hymns that we sang. Those, those are written by people that could see clearly. Oh man, it's going to be so great. There's often backstories to those hymns of people that are facing hardship. It is well with my soul. You've heard that. You know that, right? His wife and his children died on a ship, and as he's passing back by, he writes, even though that happened, God is still good. It is still well. Just as these three could say, you know, you can take our life. We're not bowing down because God is greater. Let it be known we serve Him and Him alone. Do whatever you're going to do. That comes from a faithful life to the point where we count Him greater than all else. Why? Because we love Him more. We love God more. The love of the world and the love of God cannot mix. They are like oil and water. They will not mix. And to try to mix those two is just to confuse your own heart. And how many times do we do that? Well, maybe if I shake it up really good, It'll all blend together and I can have both. Nope, doesn't work. Then you just got a mess. We try so often to try to, to blend the two and try to have this and try to have that without just placing God first and foremost and letting everything else be under His hand. I see no confusion here. So many people have confused themselves. They run from the altar of God to the altar of the world and try to bounce back between the two, try to split their affection between the two. I don't see any of that here. These men aren't confused. They know exactly who they worship. God. And that's what allows them to stand. And it allows God to work amazingly, which we'll see next time. So perhaps maybe I can simply finish with asking the question that the king does. Is it true? Is it true of you? I know it's easier said than done. I know it's hard to be in that position. Some of you might be facing that right now. You feel the pressure of the world or you feel the pressure of something else coming down and you're being faced with a choice. Do I stand Or do I kneel? That's why it's so important we spend every day with God. Walking with Him. Learning of Him. And drawing closer to Him. It's what we feed ourselves. Remember chapter 1? What you intake and what can defile you. If you've got a steady diet of the Scripture and of learning of God and walking with Him, that will give you the strength to stand. Marathon runners don't show up the day of and go. Olympic people, athletes, sorry. Olympic athletes don't show up every once or every two or four years and just compete. No, they train day in and day out. You understand the Bible reading, the praying, the church, the being together, the fellowship. That is all training for these times when we need to stand. And beloved, the world needs it. Oh, the world needs us to stand. We need faithful men and women of the church who will not bow to the world and they will stand for the truth. The world needs it. Your family needs it. They need to see us standing tall when the rest of the world is on their face. And to see 
and hear us answer the question, yes, it is true, I bow only to God. And as for them, they can threaten, they can push, they can take what they want from us. But they too will bow someday. For the Scripture says, every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, you can do it now in obedience. Or one day you will be forced to by Christ Himself as He rules with a rod of iron. And the call of Scripture is that we do that today. Perhaps you're like me. And you've bent the knee to some wrong things. Maybe it's not a movement. Maybe it's not a person. Maybe it's our own ideas. Maybe it's comfort that we have. Or You know how it works out in your own heart. We all have idols in our heart, don't we? At some point or another, we have them. And maybe it's time to stop. Maybe it's time to take those down and to take a stand. Time to stand and say to whoever may ask, I will not bow. I will not bow. I will not worship what you have set up. Be it known, I worship God and God alone. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the examples of these three young men. Lord, you see the day that we face. You know all things. You know all of the commands and the demands of the world to, to worship. You know the pull and the draw of our own selves, our own foolish hearts to, to set up idols and to worship them, Lord. Give us the strength. Give us the clarity to bow down to You and You alone. Lord, help us to make the right decisions when the pressure comes and We are faced head-on with a choice. Lord, help us to choose to stand. We can't do it on our own. I can't do it on my own, Lord. I I need your strength. I need your Spirit to guide me and to, to guard me, to fill me. Lord, I ask that you would do that in my own life as well as the lives of others, Lord. And please, if there be any of us who might be bowing down to the wrong thing, Lord, reveal it to us now by your Spirit. And may we take this time to to take those down and to put you back at the forefront of our lives. Use this message as you see fit. Move among us, Lord. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.